Hey, Rockbridge, my name is Matt. Just want to welcome you to our services. Welcome to the folks who are watching Rockbridge online, wherever you're watching from. Love for you to throw that in the comments and say hello so we know that you're with us. And also just want to welcome y'all at all six of our campuses. Thank you so much for being a part of Rockbridge. Hey, we're in a part two of a series that we kicked off last weekend called Back to the Basics. And just a little recap, a little review. We said, hey, in, in almost every endeavor, whether it's your marriage, your walk with God, your, your, the sport you follow. There's certain just fundamental, irreducible things that so many things depend upon or are based upon or are founded upon. Like in football, it's blocking and tackling. In marriage, it's, hey, keep dating your wife. There's just these basic things that we're tempted to overlook, we're tempted to neglect, but we do so at our own peril. And so it's the same in our relationship with God. And so this week, excited to jump into Back to the basics part two. Now to, to get us kind of going and get our brains working and, and, and our minds engaged, I just want to show you some images of, of things that have, have caused or might cause you to change a habit or to change your behavior, right? Like you've passed through a speed zone and you've seen it go from 35 to 25 and you've slowed down. Maybe if you agreed with the posted speed limit, uh, we, we'll keep that between us. You've, you've seen a policeman or a security officer, and that's caused you to be more careful or stop doing something or start doing something. The Surgeon General, he puts some warnings on things, and it might have caused you, hey, should I really be doing this? Or question your diet or question your, your, your choices. And, and then your parents probably gave you one of these, right? They gave you some rules, whether they were written or unwritten, spoken or unspoken. We've all known in our company in our family, when I'm at my mom's house, these, when this teacher's class, these are the rules. And you've adjusted accordingly because you didn't want to get in trouble. You want to please your teacher, whatever. And then sometimes, you know, it's people's approval or their applause. And, and we do things because, hey, these folks are going to like that. I want to hear people. I want to hear attaboy. I want to hear girls. And so all of these things just illustrate, hey, we, they cause us to do things and not to do things. And, and they cause us to do things that maybe we wouldn't do otherwise. And they cause us not to do things that we like to do, but we don't want to get in trouble or we want to make sure we please people or we, you know, we don't want to you know, do anything you know, out there cr crazy or anything like that. Now, as, as I'm thinking about these things, I, I want to throw a question up and let us think about it. Then why... Do you follow God? Or if you, if you, if you haven't yet, that's okay. Why, why should you follow God? Why should you obey God? And as I was thinking about this question, and, and you know, we make faith and Christianity and religion so much about obey and follow and trust and do and don't. And so I was thinking about this question. I, I was a little bit challenged because a lot of the same reasons and the same things that these do are, are, are the same reasons here. Because we, we might say, hey, I don't want to get in trouble with God. Or, you know, I, I'm afraid of something really, really bad happening to me. So that's why I obey God. Or, you know what, God's sort of like the judge and the police. And, you know, he's, he's watching and, and you just got to be careful. And, and then some of us would, would say, you know what, uh, there's sometimes like speed limit signs with God. And sometimes, man, I agree. Yes, I will go 25. But, but there's some parts of the whole God thing and some of God's rules and some of the stuff I've heard that God's interested in or not interested in or says I should do or should not do. There's some stuff like that that I'm like, hey, you know what? This, this ought to be a 35. Now, maybe, maybe a 40 sometimes. Depends who's looking and depends, you know, maybe God's not looking at me right now. God's got bigger things to worry about. 
So it strikes me that oftentimes the things that will change our habits or behaviors or cause us to stop doing something or start doing something, at least in a moment in time, sometimes those are the same things or the same why when we would say, well, this is why I obey God or this is why I follow God or sometimes I don't obey God and sometimes I don't follow God and it makes sense to me why I don't, just like it makes sense to me why I don't go uh, the speed limit in a 25 because I really think it ought to be 35. And what we're going to discover today or get back to today and, and back to the basics is there's really a different reason that we should obey God and do obey God. There's a different reason than following Jesus than, hey, I don't want to get in trouble. I don't want to go to the bad place when I die. Uh, I, I want to make sure, you know, I keep my mom and dad and grandma happy because God was important to them. And so I just, I don't want to do anything. So w- there's a different reason and a different source that does cause us to follow God, obey God, do what God says and not do what he says and want to f- pursue a relationship with him. And it's really fundamental. And it's really basic. But if you're like me, you need to be reminded of it. And some of you today, like you're new to church or you're new to Christianity, and this is such an incredible day to be here because I, I, I bet you for many of you, you, you walked away from Christianity or you're kind of on the outside looking in because Christianity looks a lot more like this than what we're going to talk about today. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to go to the Gospel of Matthew. We're going to be actually in chapter 13, and then we're also going to look at a story in chapter 14. And in chapter 13, Jesus is going through a series of like about 13 or so parables, which are just stories that draw a comparison and a contrast. They didn't, they, these stories didn't actually happen. Jesus made them up to be creative and innovative and help people grasp one critical truth. And so today we're going to look at two of these parables and then a story that illustrates them and go from there and find this back to the basic principle that answers the question, why should we follow Jesus? Why should we be Christian? What motivates the do's and the don'ts of Christianity? Here we go in the Word of God. The kingdom of heaven, which for Matthew is synonymous with the kingdom of Jesus. It's synonymous with eternal life. It's synonymous with, hey, going to the good place. It's synonymous of being born again or having a relationship with Jesus. So the kingdom of heaven is like treasure. Now, now, that word needs to jump off the page because I, I, don't, I don't think a lot of us, when we talk about God, we talk about the kingdom, we might talk about, hey, it's the safest place to go, or, or we might say, you know what, the kingdom of heaven is like insurance, but treasure is a different way of looking at Jesus, his kingdom, and everything. So it's like treasure buried in a field that a man found, and he reburied it, presumably to hide it because he didn't want to lose it or he didn't want someone else to get it. Then in his joy, he goes and sells everything he has and buys that field. So he's willing to give up every possession that he has to get this treasure, and he does so not begrudgingly, not like hesitantly, but he does so with great joy or great delight or great happiness. In other words, he's not coerced into doing it. He's not threatened into doing it. He's excited. He's joyful because he has found something that has captured his affections, captured his ambitions, and he's willing to pay a price 
in order to have it, but the, the joy of having it overwhelms or overcomes the price he pays to get it. And so just from that one little story, there's a couple of things that jump out that, that are so surprising but so fundamental and so basic to true Christianity. The first thing is this, the value of Jesus and his kingdom produce strong desires. The value of Jesus and his kingdom, what in our story was called a treasure, produce strong desires. Desires that make you say, I have to have Christ or I have to have a place in the kingdom of God. I value that. I treasure that. And I want that so much that I'm willing to say no to some other things. I'm willing to part ways with some other things in order to make sure I have this surpassing, the, the infinite value of having Jesus. Now, again, a lot of us, that's not how Jesus, church, Christianity has been presented. It's been presented, hey, do you want to go to hell or not? And, and I've never met someone who would say, yeah, sign me up for that. I want to go. But we've literally just scared the hell out of people to try to get people into church or to keep people off drugs or to keep people from sleeping with their boyfriend or to threaten people so that you, you better watch out, you know, security guard or, hey, God says it's 25 and you're going 45. And this story doesn't appeal to any of that stuff. Not to say that that stuff doesn't have some value in, in guarding our behavior, but this story just simply says, hey, the kingdom of Jesus is so amazing and so beautiful and so valuable that when you truly grasp its value, you are willing to make incredible changes and shifts and give up some things in order to make sure you have the treasure that is Christ and his kingdom. And, and the second thing that we've alluded to from this parable is this. We are not threatened or scared into the kingdom of heaven. We enter it with joy. We enter it with joy. And, and it's, it's, you know, a lot of people are like, no, 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 no. God's not for my happiness. God's not for my joy. In fact, I, the, the things that make me the happiest are the things that my friends or my Christian friends or the preachers telling me I got to stop doing. And that's, again, not what's presented by Jesus when he's talking about what his kingdom is like. That th there's no threat, there's no scare, it's just incredible joy in what I've discovered. And, and you know, a lot of us, Christianity's been presented to us almost like being held at gunpoint. You, you better watch out, you better not. And, and, and so we're sort of like scared and, and we sort of tiptoe in and, and, you know, how far is too far? Uh, have I done enough? Am I in? Am I out? Is God okay? Is God going to pull me over like the cop or not? And that's just not what we see in this parable. We see something completely different. And so it, it's so kind of the, the shock value to Jesus' audience, just like to us today, you know, 2,000 plus years, plus plus years later, is so great. Jesus tells another parable that's very similar. And here's what he says. Okay, he says, oh, again, let me, let me, just in case you missed how amazing this is and how different this is and what a different paradigm it is, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant who's out searching for fine pearls. And when he found one priceless pearl, he went and he sold, there it is again, he sold everything he had and he bought it. And he bought it. And, you know, we, we sort of read this and, and some things jump out at us. Again, 
something incredibly valuable is discovered. The, the discoverer, the seeker, is willing to part with everything he had except the priceless pearl, or in the previous parable, except the treasure that was in the field. And so we start looking at this, and we're like, okay, this presents Jesus and his kingdom in a different light. You know, there's costs involved, and I think a lot of us, you know, what we do is we follow Jesus up until it's not convenient or not comfortable or up until the cost of following him is too much. And so for some of us, we look like a Christian on the weekends uh, or at least for one hour on the weekends, but we don't during the week because it, co- it would cost us something. It might cost us our integrity or, or might cost us uh, more money or might cost us some friends or, or whatever. So we follow Jesus up to the, the point where the cost is too much or the inconvenience is too high or it gets too un- uncomfortable. And, and so a lot of people, when, when it comes to following Jesus, like I, I'll preach a hard message and I'll bump into people and they'll say, God, that was really hard and that's so, so, so challenging. And, and this parable sort of helps us with that. This parable sort of helps us put it in perspective because this parable actually presents two costs, two costs, okay? And, and it's so enlightening to see what these two costs are. And so the costs are this, okay? There's the cost of, yeah, you got to, you, they sold everything they had, not 50%, but everything they had. But there was another cost, and it was the cost of not having the kingdom or the treasure or the priceless pearl. And I, and I want us to see that because what Satan loves to do is he loves to just talk about number one. Did God really say you can't eat that fruit? Oh, you can eat that fruit and you won't die if you do. Right? You hear a sermon, you hear a message, you read something in the Bible, you, 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 somebody, you get a little conviction, and immediately it's like, man, if I were to follow that conviction or obey that principle or go that route, man, I, that just feels like number one. It feels like I would be, I, I wouldn't be giving up everything, but I'd be giving up too much. So I'm just going to stay where I'm at. But you got to see in the text, there's a second cost, and it's the cost of not having that treasure, not having that priceless pearl. And and I just want us to stop for just a second. I want you to ask yourself a question. Which one of these tends to get the bulk of your focus? Because I I think we could understand where you and I are in our walk with God if we knew which one of these we focus on the most. Hey, I, I mean, it just would cost too much. Or, man, the cost of not having Jesus that is what's unbearable. That is what would be too much to bear. And what this speaks to is some truths about all people. Christian people, non-Christian people, Southerners, Northerners, Red Staters, Blue Staters, Democrats, Republicans, all people. All right, and, and what it is is all of us make appraisals or count the cost or, or you might say we assign value all the time. And then we follow the strongest desire or, or we follow what we most value. Okay, we do that all the time. I mean, if you've ever said, hey, I can't afford that, that's a statement of you've made an appraisal. You've assigned a value. I mean, some of you have said, you know, I'm not sure I can afford that, but I could eat peanut butter and jelly the whole, the last three weeks of every month and cut down on my food prices, and so now I can afford that. 
You're just following what you value and you've assigned a value and the, the thought of not having that thing outweighs the thought of, you know, maybe eating something besides PB&J for thir- three weeks, right? You do it all the time. I do it all the time. Uh, <coughs> Christians do it. Non-Christians do it. If you've ever said, hey, I just don't have time for that. Well, you do have time. You're just choosing it not for that, but choosing it for that over there. I mean, that all the time, most of our decisions, if not all of them, we make appraisals. Is anybody going to get hurt? Is anybody going to find out? Could I get in trouble? Could I get more money or less money? I mean, will they like that? Will they not like that? We just assign value. So Jesus is not changing our humanity. He's just saying and showing that, hey, when we correctly appraise the value of his kingdom and a relationship with him, then we will follow that no matter what it quote unquote cost us because the thought of not having that is just too much to bear or too much to comprehend. So th- we're, we do this all the time. Hey, where do you want to, what do you want to have for dinner tonight? Uh, do you want seafood? Do you want steak? Do you want pasta? It's an appraisal. Now, when we act though, in accordance with our strongest desire. People that don't make the same appraisals or don't understand how we arrived at our value might describe our choice as radical, extreme, or inexplicable. Because, I mean, you read those two parables and you're like, wow, that's kind of extreme, isn't it, that you would sell everything for one pearl? That, that's kind of extreme. That, 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 that's kind of radical that you would like give it all up for just, the, just a little treasure you found in the field. You didn't even know it existed before you got there. I mean, that just seems, I, I can't explain that. I don't understand that. But, but you know, though, you, you know, there's been times maybe in your life or, or in your friends' lives where they've said, hey, I was made for this. And that's what caused them to go in that career path. They've said, hey, I don't know who I would be or where I would be without them. And it was them that they chose to pursue and court and get married to. And so we understand that yeah, I don't, this would not make sense if I didn't know how much they valued their career or how much they loved you know, their boyfriend or their spouse or whatever. And so it's almost like this. When we think about what these two guys, the man and the merchant, did in the parable and, and, and some decisions we make after we make these appraisals, it's almost like this. Have you ever, like, been going out, you know, to, knew you had a big dinner or Thanksgiving was coming up, and, and you're like, you know what, I'm going to skip a meal and save room so I can just really have that, um, you know, great, boom, awesome dinner we're going to have tonight or that big steak that, you know, dad's cooking or granddad's making or whatever. Or have you ever, like, said this, hey, I'm saving room for dessert, right? And, and so you ate less meat and less carbs so you could load up on the chocolate stuff or whatever. And, and when you're doing that, you're not thinking, man, I'm giving up so much. Man, I'm giving up lunch. You're, not, you're like, yeah, I'm giving up lunch so I have room for the feast at dinner. You're not saying, man, I'm eating less. So, but no, you're saying I'm eating less so I can just, you know, go to town on the chocolate pie that grandma makes, right? And so for those of us on the outside looking in, we have to say, okay, for these two guys, the man and the merchant, what they saw and appraised of the value of the treasure and the priceless pearl was so good. They did not feel like they were being radical. 
They didn't feel like they were being extreme. They, to them, it was completely logical, completely rational because of the appraised value of what they were getting in return. And Jesus is saying, that's what it's like to follow him. That's what it's like to obey him and love him back and choose him. It's not this big sacrifice. It's not, oh my goodness, if I go with Jesus, I've lost my Friday nights. I'm choosing my Friday night. No, I'm going with Jesus. And if, I, and, and if it means less money for me, and I, you know, it's okay. I'm getting Jesus. And he says, that's what it's like. It, it, being a part of the kingdom of heaven is not like, oh my gosh, there's a cop, slow down. No, it's like, oh, there's Jesus. I got to be with him. No matter what, it, what, no matter what speed, I, I, I will go at his pace. If he says 10, it's 10. If he says 100, it's 100. I'm just with Jesus. Like going with Jesus is not, here's the 32 rules you got to follow. You ready? You excited about that? It's here's Jesus. And there's the joy of being with him. So to illustrate this even more, if you go to chapter 14, there's another story that it, it, that's going to seem radical, extreme, and inexplicable unless we understand the value of Jesus. Here's the story, Matthew 14, 22. So Jesus makes the disciples get into a boat and they go on ahead of him to the other side of, of the lake, uh, the sea, while he dismissed the crowds. And the boat was some distance from land. It was battered by the waves because the wind was against them. And then Jesus does what he does and he does this water walking thing. And he comes toward them walking on the, on the sea very early in the morning. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. And they said, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them. And he says, have courage. It is I. Do not be afraid. And then Peter says, Lord, if it's you. And, and really, that the better translation is, Lord, since it's you, because it's you, command me to come to you on the water. Now, now, again, let's, let's just be rational a second. I was in the Navy. If you're in a storm at sea, the last thing you want to do is to be outside the boat. You want to stay in the boat. And, and so Peter's like, no, no, no I, I just want to come to you. I want to go where you are. And Jesus is like, great. He honors that request. He says, come. Climbing out of the boat, Peter started walking on the water, and he came toward Jesus. So I'm reading this text, and I'm like, okay, why did Peter get out of the boat in the middle of the storm? He hadn't passed basic seamanship. And I start thinking about all the reasons people typically want to obey God. Back to our first question, right? And, and, and there's kind of like the Aflac reason, right? You, you need that insurance in a crisis. Well, well Peter's in a crisis, and he's like, I, I want to leave the safest place I can be in a storm, and I just want to go out there on the waves with you, Jesus. That doesn't make sense. Some people look at God and they're like, hey, I want God on my side, kind of like I need Home Depot. You know, you can do it, we can help. I can do it, God can help. I just want God to help me. Peter doesn't say, Jesus, get in the boat and help us steer. Get in the boat and help us get ashore. Peter says, hey, get me out of the boat and put me on the waves with you. And, and, I, and, I, and I look at this, it's just in chapter 14, so it's one chapter, just a little bit past those two parables. And I'm like, here's the perfect illustration. 
that actually happened of those two parables. Here's Peter saying, hey, the reason I want to get out of the boat, the reason I, I want to leave the safest spot in the storm is because there is in tremendous value of being with Jesus and being with Jesus is best even if it means leaving safety even if it means selling everything because Jesus is way more than an insurance policy and a savior and a messiah he's way more than just your bosom buddy your friend and your comforter he's a treasure he's a prize he's a portion worth having and that is basic fundamental Christianity now, for many of us, it's like, whoa, I, I've never thought of Jesus that way. I've thought of him as judge. I've thought of him as the man upstairs. I've thought of him as my get out of hell free card. I've never thought of Jesus as the one who being with him is best and he's my treasure, my prize, my portion. But that's basic Christianity. That's basic Christianity. That God wants to be with you and he wants you to know the eternal indescribable, inexplicable joy that comes from being with him. And it's so easy, is it not, in the storms of our lives to forget that, to miss that, and to be all about, Jesus, protect my boat. Jesus, calm my storm. Jesus, I don't want to lose everything. Protect my everything, or at least most of my everything. And miss the invitation. And miss the joy of Jesus as a treasure, a prize, and a portion worth having. So Jesus, the story continues in Matthew. And so Peter's out on the water. But when he saw the strength of the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately he reached out his hand, caught hold of him, and said to him, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And this Greek word doubt is very, very insightful because it means why did you, why are you driven by two masters? Why are you divided in your pursuit of what you're seeking? So he was exclusively pursuing Jesus. And then he began to get concerned about his own safety. And he lost sight of Jesus and the value of Jesus and the worth of Jesus. And the joy of being with Jesus went away because of the fear of the wind. And, and in this, we start to see, as we marry this story with our parables, we start to see some dangers uh, that really begin to dilute the joy of Jesus that begins to make Jesus seem less appealing as a treasure, a portion, and a prize. And what are those dangers? The, the first one is this. A lot of us want Jesus plus something else. We want Jesus plus. We're, we're, and we get divided. We get divided. And, and remember the parables, right? The man and the merchant. They were willing to part with everything to have the one thing. And, and a lot of us, the, the re, you're like, hey, I just don't have that much joy in Jesus right now, Matt. One of the problems could be, could be that you want Jesus and something else. And so the supreme, superior, infinite, and eternal value of Jesus has been diluted by your pursuit of something else. Like Peter, you're divided. You want to look at Jesus, but you're also worried. You look here and, and you're divided. Danger number two is when we settle for inferior pleasures. 
or inferior comforts or inferior satisfactions. This strikes me like the disciples in the boat. Eleven of them were like, we ain't leaving the boat. It's, it's better in here than it is out there. I, I'm going to have more fun in here than out there. I have a better chance of making it in here than out there. But where's Jesus? He's out there. And so many of us, the reason we haven't tasted and seen that God is good, the reason we don't know that Christianity is built on joy, based on joy and the invitation to joy, the reason that's foreign to us is because, you know, we're, we're satisfied with a crystal hamburger when God's given us an invitation to Ruth Chris Steakhouse. We're too easily satisfied and pleased. And then the third danger is when there's a distracting fear, like Peter on the water. I'm afraid of sinking. I'm afraid of this. I'm afraid of that. I'm afraid of giving up too much. I'm afraid of being too extreme, too radical. And there's a distracting fear when really what these parables and this story show us is there should be one fear that dominates our life. One fear. The fear of missing Jesus. The fear of being apart from Jesus. The fear of not having the treasure and the priceless pearl. Because once you see it and embrace it and appraise it correctly in light of eternity, in light of the beauty and glory of Christ, once you see it, you're willing to let go of these inferior pleasures because you found the one true pleasure. And you're willing to say, hey, Jesus plus nothing, I've got everything. I've got everything. And that is the beauty and the hope and the challenge and the joy of Christ and understanding who he is and the invitation we have. So now here's the challenging part, okay? <clears throat> the challenging part is this. I'm, I'm talking a lot about joy, talking a lot about happiness, talking a lot about, you know, pleasures in Christ, right? And, and so it, when you hear me say that, some of us are like, hey, that's like when my parents told me to eat my vegetables and like it, you know? I, I, how do you, how do you, I, I can't help how I feel. It's like your math teacher saying, don't you love math? And they're like, no, I just want to grade and get out of here. So, so when, sometimes when I'm saying, hey, joy in Christ, we're like, hey, what does that look like? How do we get that? Because you, you may sit here and you may be, I don't get it or I'm not sure how to get joy in Christ. So, so let, me, let me give some thoughts to that as way of our application. The, the first thing is this. I just want all of us to collectively be aware, beware of joyless Christianity. And I, and I know we, most of us, a lot of us have grown up in the Bible Belt or we grew up in strict Catholicism or we grow, grew up and it was like, man, God's going to get you, better watch out. And church was anything but joy. And it, man, if you weren't using the King James, you might be going to hell because that's the Bible Jesus read and all of that kind of stuff, right? Be aware of that because that's not the full picture. It's not the accurate picture. It's not the best picture. It's not the biblical picture of what it means to come to Jesus. We come to Jesus in joy because we found what our hearts were made to set our affections, our ambitions, our hopes, and all of our happiness upon him. So let's be aware of joyless Christianity. And for those of you who today, this is the first time you've ever heard of Christianity and joy or happiness because this is, what, this is the steady diet you heard growing up, I just pray God opens your eyes to see the joy of Jesus Christ. So being a Christian is about delight and desires, not just about duties 
and disciplines. It's so easy to slip and, and make Christianity like boot camp or make Christianity like, man, you got to do this, you got to do that. If you don't do this, God's probably going to be mad or somebody's going to yell at you. It's so easy to let Christianity slip and, and, and become just about our, our d- duties and, and d- disciplines instead of seeing it under and understand it is about delight and joy that is ca- it causes us to be willing to do inexplicable things and radical things because we found something. We found him and he is worth having and he is worth getting out of the boat to go be with him. And so a lot of times you, you and I, what we do though, excuse me, is we get fatalistic, fatalistic about our desires. And what I mean by that is we say, I I can't help how I feel. Well, what this, what this whole sermon teaches us in these passages is, look, rather than saying, I can't help how I feel, ask yourself this question. Is this the way I should feel? So is this the way I should feel about Jesus Christ? In light of what we've just read, in light of what we just studied, you know, Jesus, in, in him are pleasures forever. At the right hand of God, there are pleasures forevermore. That's Psalm 16, 11. Jesus said, my joy will be your joy and your joy will be complete. Happy is the man repeated in the Sermon on the Mount, or blessed is he, blessed is he. God is very much for your happiness, very much for your joy. I, I, I'm the man in the field. I'm the merchant looking for the pearl. And in my joy, I'm willing to sell everything. So am I feeling how I should feel about this? Imagine this. Imagine you got a friend and they love chocolate. And you go to some restaurant and you have the absolute best chocolate dessert you've ever had. Okay, and, and, and then you go grab your friend, and you, know, you got to taste this, you got to have this, and you bring them with you, and you pay for it, and they take one bite of it, and they're like, that's awful. And like, what do you have, COVID, lose your taste buds, what's going on? You would be confused, you would be challenged by that. Why? Because their emotions don't match the reality of how they ought to feel about the best piece of chocolate dessert they've ever put in their mouth, Right? It'd be like some of you run businesses and imagine you make the biggest sale in the history of your company and you come in and your employees are like, hey, I got to tell you the news. They signed, they agreed that we, we got the deal. And everybody's like, okay. You about what's wrong with you people, right? I mean, if your team wins the championship and, and you're all, you're like, oh, no big deal. I mean, what's wrong, right? And, and, and so ask yourself, man, do I have the right desires in light of who I know Christ to be, his kingdom to be, in light of the way the word of God reveals him to be. And then we go a step further. And with growing exclusivity and intensity, the way to produce joy in Christ is to look to Christ. You have to keep, we have to keep looking and pondering and reviewing and repeating to understand the truth of who he is, the truth of what he did. Why is he like a treasure in a field? Why is he like the priceless pearl? And the more you look to Christ, the clearer it becomes. And this is not like a superficial, casual, occasional one-minute Bible thing. This is pondering and meditating and going deep to see him more and more accurately. Because you know, you know what heaven's going to be like? 
doing this in high def, you know, doing this with perfect sight and perfect vision, and we will never, ever get tired for eternity of looking at and giving value to and worth to Jesus, and the joy that we can have in him will be infinite joy. So we have to be willing to do that. So here's, here's some thoughts. When you read the Bible, because Jesus is communicated through the word of God, read less for information and more for awe and then application. Read it and then, and when you get, hang out right there and go deep right there. Go deep right there. This may be why some of you, you know, you don't need to read the whole Bible in a year. You need to read 10 verses and get as much of that out of it as you can because is what we're supposed to do when we see Christ clearly. Your hearts were made for Jesus, right? Joy, right? And then we have to embrace our identity as worshipers. Every single person here is a worshiper. You assign worth and then you pursue it and you treasure it and you prize it and you guard it and you protect it. Everybody is a worshiper. What these texts today and this basic, back to the basic principle number two, that Jesus is best, what they teach us is we are supposed to worship one. And his name is Jesus. When they got in the boat, the wind ceased. Then those in the boat worshiped him and said, truly you are the son of God. Truly you are the son of God. And when I think about worship, worship is not just singing. Worship is life because we are constantly making appraisals and we're constantly pursuing what we value most in the moment. What if Jesus, because we constantly look to him and appraise him correctly and esteem him highly and rightly and mightily, what if Jesus was the object of our worship moment by moment, week in and week out? What, what would that look like? Think about how, how you come to church we, and we, we've got songs that we sing and word of God that we talk about. Think about how you go to work. Well, worship is like this. First, we have to give our attention, undistracted attention. We have to begin to focus and repetition helps that. So that's why sometimes our worship leaders say, let's sing that chorus again. Or, or, or sometimes why we have to say the same thing over because we need that truth to sink and to marinate into our soul. So we have to get our attention fixed on the object of our joy, the source of our joy, which is Jesus. And, and that attention leads to admiration and adoration who he is, what he did, why he's, who he, why he's amazing, why he's the prize and the treasure and the, and the priceless pearl, which leads to affection. And, you know, I, I don't know about you, but I found this, and, and I, I found that, hey, affection has to be expressed, and usually that's physically. And so this is why singing out loud is important, and why some people close their eyes, why raising hands, why clapping, all of those physical expressions of worship, they're an overflow of our heartfelt affection of the one we're admiring, of the one we're adoring, of the one who is our treasure. And then as you continue to worship, it's an audience of one. I am here, and I'm, I'm less aware of me and less aware of the people around me, and I am increasingly aware I'm in the presence of God. That's what worship does. That's how it stirs and, and fosters the joy we're supposed to have in Christ. But, you know, th this is true when you go to work as well or go to fourth period, that you walk in and, hey, God, I, I'm, I'm here to honor you. I'm here to be with you. 
And, and, and Jesus, I admire and adore you and, and who you are, what I read about you, and I love you, and I just want to be in this class. Be, I just want to do my job, and, and I'm really not working for my boss or for my teacher. I'm really here just to, to be with you. It's a game changer, but it's basic, fundamental Christianity that in our joy, we're willing to leave things and say no to things that other people find inexplicable that we would do that. But it's because we have appraised the value of Jesus correctly and chosen to be with him and pursue him and follow him. So what I want to ask all of us to do as we pray is I just want to ask you to look to Jesus. Today, maybe you look to him and recognize you need him in your life as your Lord and Savior, your prize and your portion and your treasure. Would you say yes to Christ? Some of you look to him and you need to say, hey, Jesus, I just don't have joy right now, but I know I should because of who you are and how amazing you are. Lord God, give me eyes to see you as that treasure, as that priceless pearl. Give me, God, help me appraise you correctly and find that joy back in you. That, that, maybe that is your prayer. But here's what I want us all to ask. That there would be one thing we fear today. Just one. That we, that we fear this more than everything going on out in the crazy world. Just one thing that we would fear. Not being with Jesus. The one our hearts were made to stop and stand in <gasps> of the one our hearts were made to receive eternal joy and pleasure from. Let's be with Jesus. He's done everything needed to remove every obstacle. My sin, your sin, my rebellion, your rebellion. He's removed all of that so we can be with him. Maybe you have to get out of the boat. Maybe you have to focus. Maybe you have to say no to an inferior pleasure. Maybe you have to say no to a distracting fear. But let's just fear missing the best, missing the treasure, missing the prize that is Jesus Christ. As his disciples said when they worshiped him in the boat, truly you are the son of God. Let us pray together. God, I pray that every person here has a sight of Christ right now. And God, that we take a step, that we pursue the Son of God, the treasure, the per priceless pearl, the author and perfecter of our faith, the one who gives us pleasures forevermore, the one who satisfies us with joy that's eternal. We look to you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.